every single time we're thinking about an innovation, about a new flavor, about, you know, a packaging upgrades, about who we're hiring, we're thinking about it through the lens of impact and thinking about it through the lens of connecting with people in the community. Welcome to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast by Coralis, a global community of women and non-binary people making real progress on the world's to-do list. Together, we're transforming the world to become more equitable and sustainable. Hi, I'm MJ Ryan, and I'm one of the development guides at Coralis, and I'm here talking with Sheena Russell from Made with Local. I'm really, really happy and excited to um, mark the occasion of the payment of the Coralist Venture Loan Off, which means that we've been on this journey for five years, tangentially, and somewhat, sometimes more together. And so can't wait to talk all about that. So Sheena, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much, MJ. This is a special occasion. Um, so I'm founder and CEO of Made With Local. And we're a deeply purpose-driven snack foods company based here in Nova Scotia, Canada. And I started this company back in 2012 at a little five-foot farmer's market table. And since then, we've grown into being a brand that's distributed uh, all across Canada and now starting to dip our toes into the U.S. with our real food bars, which is what we're best known for. So tell me a little bit about your product line these days. So you started out with the farmer's market with these bars and what made them different? And then now what do you have in terms of products? Yeah, so our approach to creating these foods was really different from, I think, how lots of other people start a food company. I knew in 2012 that I wanted to start bringing some healthy snacks into the world. And the best place to do that was the farmer's market at that time. And I wanted to do it in a way that, you know, not only tasted good and was good for me and my friends and family and those folks who were the early adopters, but also had some sort of deeper community impact. Um, I knew from kind of day one that there needed to be some other, some other intention behind these, these bars. So at the time, I really did think about the farmer's market as almost my, you know, like chef's challenge TV show black box. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they give you the black box full of mystery ingredients, you need to make something with that. That's kind of how I approached um, the farmer's market and kind of how I approached the development of our early recipes for our real food bars. I literally thought about, okay, what do I have access to here at this farmer's market and let that inform the food that we were going to work with. Um, so things like organic oats, nut butters that were locally made by a small family just outside of Halifax, local honey, of course, blueberries, apples, etc. So in the early days, that was how we positioned ourselves and called the company made with local. So we can't get more direct than that. And really cut our teeth at the farmer's market for two years, bringing these bars in every weekend and building a pretty devout uh, legion of, of fans. And then, then what did you do? <laughs> we realized that we were on something really special. And this is the, you know, I would say the early wave of I think like cities getting more on board with farmer's market culture, at least here in our part of the world, it was really, there was a bit of a renaissance of buy local and farmer's market weekends. And we, we, so that's where we built our base. And then from there, we realized that, okay, there's an appetite, pardon the pun for this in grocery stores and cafes and in other channels. So 
it was about 2014 when we started selling into some local grocery stores, some little health food shops. And again, we just continued to see really strong success and the brand continued to grow very much with, I would say in those early years too, like a, a pull type of energy. Like we were not doing sales. We were answering inbound sales calls and, and um, figuring out if we could take on new accounts. Uh, that was the bulk of the work in those early years. So that was the early era of me with local and today now, you know, fast forward to 2023 and we're in over 3000 grocery stores all across Canada. We've shipped, I pulled a number the other day that we've shipped direct orders. So like e-commerce um, online sales orders into 27 US states in the last three months. Congratulations, that's amazing. Yeah, getting lots of inbound interest from US retailers as well, which we are taking our time to approach that because it's a different beast altogether. Um, but yeah, so we're, we've come a really long way and, and, and 2022 is a monumental year for us where we built with the support of Corliss, uh, uh, our in-house manufacturing facility here. We, bu we built a bakery in Windsor, Nova Scotia, a little kind of rural town outside of Halifax. And it's completely revolutionized our, our whole company. So it's a, it's a new era for us and a really, um, you know, profitable one and which feels amazing and, and has set us up for our next big growth spurts in the future. And at the beginning, you were manufacturing first in your kitchen, right? I mean, if you, for the farmer's market, you were making them yourself, right? So I've actually never sold a bar from my home kitchen. <laughs> Good. So we did go legit right from the beginning. What we did, we rented my friend's cafe on Monday nights. Mm -hmm. So my friend Tara McDonald, she owned a cafe here in Halifax called Two If By C Cafe. And they were one of the first cafes in Halifax to bring sort of elevated coffee culture to the city and uh yeah so they had this rock and cafe business where they made they were also famous for these croissants that are like literally the size of a football like the biggest croissant you've ever seen in your life so they had a bakery in the cafe and it wasn't used at nighttime so we would go in on monday nights i mean she charges 200 dollars a month to go in and bake bars out of, out of their space and that's where our farmers market bars came from but then we eventually about two years in transitioned to a co-packing model mm -hmm. which was a unique model in that we partnered with a social enterprise bakery so a bakery that employed adults with barriers to the mainstream workforce for many years and we grew that very um, prosperous relationship with them from 2014 right up until 2022 when um, you know, to, together we kind of decided that it was it was the right time for me with local to sort of graduate on from their programming. They kind of hit their capacity limit and they were they were happy to stay where they were at, but our business continued to grow. So we needed to find another solution. And and yeah, so it was ultimately, you know, a really positive um transition for all of us. And yeah, we're we're still really close with them. Oh, that's great. I so you got involved with uh, Coralis, formerly CEO, um, right at the time in which you were doing that that co-packing arrangement. So, and and how much were you generating at the time? Do you do you remember how much revenue you were doing then? Twenty eighteen. Oh my goodness, I actually don't know that number. I would say you know it well into the six figures, two hundred and fifty, three hundred and fifty k. Yeah, maybe. that sounds about right. Is what I remember too. From and then, what are you doing now? We our fiscal ended yesterday, and we landed around 3.3 .3 million in revenues. Oh, congratulations, Gina! <laughs> it's been huge. Our team, like it's our team, is 
the absolute best. And we just, yeah, we've been able to bring this bakery to life and our margins are really strong and our sales have just continued to take off. And yeah, we're just really kind of hitting our stride, I think. And it, it, it absolutely feels amazing. <laughs> yeah, I remember some, I wouldn't say rocky things, but just like there was a big time there that it was a slog, right? <laughs> it was a slog for a lot of years. Honestly, I would say, you know, the the continuous issue, as you would have heard, I mean, with local was that we just never had enough capacity. The, the pace of the growth of our company can, was always beyond what we could keep up with from a from a manufacturing perspective. It was just an extremely challenging situation that seemed to have very few options. You know, we, at many points, we just didn't know how to fix fix the issue. And, you know, we had a secondary bakery um, in another province here in Ontario that, that was, you know, far enough away, especially during the COVID years that we couldn't be as hands-on with them as we wanted. And it just, yeah, there was a lot of waste and, um, and yeah, some lots of bumpy times for sure. So when this opportunity, I feel like, you know, fate, serendipity, whatever you want to call it, all of those things, all of those concepts are safe in the core of the community. Yeah, we got a phone call randomly uh, in December 2021 from originally the, the people who we used to buy peanut butter from back when we were at the farmer's market were selling their little peanut butter factory slash bakery because they were getting ready to retire. And they said, have you guys ever thought about buying your own building? And it was just like that, like instantly, yes. I was like, yes, we're going to do this. Because I had many thoughts in the past about that being a perfect building for us someday. And it kind of just came to us like from a direct offer and we purchased it and proceeded to completely gut it (laughs) and build it back up from the inside out as like a world-class manufacturing facility. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's it's solved a lot of the pain points for sure. Oh, that's great. And Mm -hmm. um when you referred to the, with help from the Coralist community, can you talk a little bit about that? That was the perpetual fund. Not everyone knows about that. So let's talk a little bit about what that is. Yeah. So we, we are a 2018 venture of the like original fund and received funding through that. And then in 2022, we were going through this big growth spurt and navigating, you know, closing down our co-packing model and ramping up this bakery and hiring people just a very cash intensive time. And I think I reached out to you first, MJ, or we had a conversation early on around, you know, potential for there be some, you know, I'm using air quotes here, like follow along sort of Mm -hmm. funding. So that was when I learned more about this perpetual fund opportunity to be able to take on a loan that the intention of it is to pay it back, you know, more quickly than you might pay back a loan from like a bank or another lender, for example, it's a shorter term, but really friendly terms, of course, as, as is the way in Coralis. And because we've built such a strong relationship over these years, and there's a lot of trust there, also like a pretty breezy experience to bring bring that in pretty quickly. And, and you know, it's just the friendliest capital you can access. Yeah. So let me just say a few things for anyone listening who doesn't know what the perpetual fund is, which is that, so what happens for the original loans is that ventures pay them back at over five years and uh, even installments every quarter. And that money that gets paid back, which we're here celebrating the fact that made with local has paid off their original loan, that money goes back into the pool of funds and to be given out again. And partly how we give it out is in this perpetual fund loan, which is available to ventures who have already within our community have already received original funding. And mm-hmm. um, you apply for and it, we're asking people to, to pay back within 12 to 18 months. Um, mm-hmm. And it's 3% interest. 
So it's really meant as a cash flow short term in situations exactly like yours, which is you need to build more capacity. Once you build that capacity, you'll be able to easily pay the money back or other lots of other people are using it for inventory, right? Because this is the classic problem that we've discovered as we've supported entrepreneurs, which is that we help we help you grow. And then when you grow, you have a cash need, <laughs> either for manufacturing capacity, which we have a few like that too, or inventory that you have to buy because now suddenly you need more. And there's always a gap between how much you 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 have to spend now and when you're going to get paid, which you know, how do you navigate that that gap? I mean, sometimes gracefully and sometimes not. You know, there's, those have been the most stressful times in our business is when those cash flow cycles really start to kind of lap up on each other. That's been, and I, I run this business with my husband. We're a family business and that's like, it's a bit of a pressure cooker situation yeah. at times where, you know, um, and that's more his role in the business is, is he's the chief growth officer. So, you know, cash management, finance, all of those things. Um, and yeah, there's been some sticky situations. I mean, we've always gotten by and everybody's always gotten paid and we've, um, you know, we've made it in some days through by the skin of our teeth, but it's um, something that in general now, because we've been able to, I kind of keep coming back to this point, but again, this, this, this move that we've made to, to bring our bakery in house has allowed us to have such strong margins that the business is starting to become in a positive situation. Which is fantastic because it's funny when I, when I had my book publishing business in the nineties, early two thousands, I had to have a million dollars in a cash flow to, in order to pay for a $4 million book business, right? Oh and I just thought, wow, that's a lot, da, da, da. But since then, I've learned that that's what the ratio is. It's one mm -hmm. quarter of what your revenue is. Mm -hmm. When it, In a product business, you need one quarter more than what whatever you're making in order to, to float the float the gap between what, when you have to buy stuff and when you have get the money for selling it. Yeah. And I mean, we've used different tools too. you know, we've factored at times for people who don't know what that is. That means you have invoices that you're going to get money on and you get people usually at a very high rate to give, <laughs> to give you loan you some of the difference. Right. So you can. Yeah. It's not something that I, it's not a long-term solution. It is sort of like an, uh, I'll say emergency sort of tool sometimes yes. where you're like, okay, especially for a small, like we grew in, a not you know a nice smooth line like we've had huge jumps like in mm -hmm. the spring of 2019 I had just had a baby my daughter Thea was born April 16th in 2019 so she was born and then within three or four weeks we had launched into like over a thousand new grocery stores in Canada between the brands Loblaws and Sobeys and then on top of that you're paying listing fees so you're not getting those are things essentially you you pay for the shelf space at these grocery stores grocery stores make you do that that's right bookstores do that too yeah our listing fees were you know in the six figures right and we're still like a sub million dollar brand at this point so it was an astronomical amount of cash to navigate and there were times during that where we absolutely needed to kind of pull lots of different like rabbits out of the hat to figure out how to keep things rolling and we did yeah. You haven't taken any investment money, have you? Or have you? We have family and friends in, um, but we've not taken any institutional uh, equity capital. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like you're in a spot right now where you don't have to. Is that true? We actually just, we actually just decided to stop trying to raise capital. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was a really liberating feeling. Um, and we, we already had some family and friends who, uh, and follow along folks. So investors who come on with us like a year, 18 months ago and the family and friends kind of, uh, range that, that now we're seeing how things are starting to move and they're like, okay, I want to get in on this again, yeah. which is amazing. Obviously that's the best case kind of scenario. And actually I should say we, there's a, a bank here in, in rural Canada called the CBDC. They're very supportive of like rural economic mm. engagement, right? So mm. they've actually come in on a safe note uh, with oh, us. Nice. And wonderfully supportive. They would be our one sort of, I would say, again, air quotes, like institutional, but it's a very specific and very values aligned type institution. Mm. Everybody else that's come in so far has just been, yeah, super fans and family supporters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really do think that's the way to grow a business because people, well, first of all, nobody who's trying to raise is, is succeeding as far as I can see. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just the, the VCs are very, very hesitant and they, they really, really don't care about it. It doesn't matter how successful you are. You are. That's not a model that they typically get interested in. Right. Totally. So, yes. But I think that's to your advantage, honestly. I think it's a blessing in disguise that it was so hard for us to raise capital this year because we tried. Don't like, don't get me wrong. Like we've tried um, and it's, you know, we've been right to the finish line and, you know, the funders cash doesn't come through from their leads. Right. It's like a cash flow issue or the timing's just not quite right. Or our check yeah. size is too small or too big or any yeah, number. There's always a reason. <laughs> yeah. So it's something for us, you know, like I really do think, I think absolutely think about that as a blessing in disguise. And I just feel again, you know, the values of made with local, we're a deeply values aligned business. And I want that reflected in our cap table. I want that reflected in the people who are quite literally invested in this brand. Yes. It's so important, right. To have that values alignment. And I'm very protective <laughs> of that too. So I'm happy to be putting that chapter to the business to bed for now. And I think about, you know, all the resources we dumped into trying to raise capital. If we had have just taken those resources, you know, in hindsight is 2020, but to, to now that we're able to redirect those resources towards like business development and growth yeah. and innovation, like that's where we need to be. So yeah. it's a, it's a good move. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I agree. And we, I'm hearing more and more about VCs who are trying to take out founders and stuff. It's just, it's a nightmare thing once you get involved in it really mostly. Mm -hmm. But um, let's talk about value because I've been, you know, I follow you on Instagram and I've been seeing all the wonderful posts you've been doing recently about thinking about how you're spending your dollar. Can you, can you talk about that? That seems to be yeah. something that's really just, I'm seeing just now. Yeah, so we're really vocal at Made with Local about our commitment to using our business as a force for good. And I truly do believe that every single dollar that us as individuals or businesses have to spend is like a vote for the world that you want to live in the future, right? Like we have the power in a capitalistic society to change change our world based on the way that we spend our money. And do I wish that it was different? You know, yes, I don't love that this is, you know, one of the bigger um, levers that we have to pull, but uh, that's the way it is for now. And I take that really seriously in my business where every single time we're thinking about an innovation, about a new flavor, about, you know, a packaging upgrades, about who we're hiring, we're thinking about it through the lens of impact and thinking about it through the lens of connecting with people in the community. So, you know, for example, this is 
again, God, I keep coming back to this, having our own bakery allows us to innovate and be very mm-hmm. responsive to the point where we're just about to start launching a series of new flavors that are quite literally in line with what's being harvested at times cool. through the year. So we have new flavors slated for like spring and summer and fall of next year that will align with, you know, the strawberry harvest, the mm-hmm. apple and working directly with farmers and food producers in our neighborhood, in our general kind of area where we're based, um, to be able to bring their food out to millions of Canadians and American consumers from our little bakery here in rural Nova Scotia. So that is the lens at which we approach every part of our business. And I will tell you, like my COO and my husband, the chief growth officer, sometimes are like, Jesus, Sheena, like not everything. <laughs> You know, like down to the point where I'm like, no, we have to order sea salt from this family owned company in Cortez Island, BC, because it's made from this like microplastic free aquifer in blood. They're like, okay, it's salt. I'm like, it's not salt. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. So like, I'm obsessive about it, honestly. Yes. And I just like, it's so unbelievably satisfying to me to for us to be at the point now in my business where I've proven that this works. Yes. We are well, we have a 52% gross margin in our business, which is like unbelievable for food. We're making it work, right? So don't tell me that this can't work because yes. we're doing it. We're doing it at scale. So I just, yeah, that's again, I feel my blood pressure starting to pipe right now. <laughs> a couple of good rants already today in my office with my team. We've been on fire. So it is that, you know, clearly our whole team is passionate like this, as much as I kind of give some of our, our staff like a bit of a, a, a nudge for being like, okay, Sheena, you know, we don't have to, you know, do this all the time. But I, <laughs> everybody is, you know, deeply values aligned and I'm not the only one kind of pushing pushing this way. We, we, we're all aligned. I hear that. And I also know that one of the roles of a visionary CEO like you is to be the, the holder of the values and the brand and the, you know, and that insistence on um, mm-hmm. everything reflecting that. Right. And what, what's interesting about it is um, it also makes it really, let's see, from a business point of view, there's a, there's a, there's a very famous um, study. This is in the completely opposite direction, but you'll get the, you'll get the story um, <laughs> on strategy that they teach at Harvard and uh, here at UC uh, Berkeley in, in, the, in California on um, Ryanair. So Ryanair is the chief airline in Europe, right? Oh, no, I'll and Ryanair. Their, and their, their strategy is be the cheapest. Mm-hmm. And they so ingrain that in every person who works for them, that every decision that gets made by anybody, it has that as what you're supposed to do, right? So when they're looking at seat covers or something, they go, is this going to be the cheapest? No, okay, we can't do it like that. And so I you, obviously you have a very different value system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, being clear about that is a strategy that then helps everybody make decisions, which is really I wonder how that affects what you're doing. Makes it more effective, obviously. Yeah. I mean, really good example of this is just this past spring. You know, I had this idea because we were coming up on strawberry season to do like a really limited edition strawberry flavored bar. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. We'll just do it as like an online drop. We can just do one production day at the bakery and, and bang it out and it'll be amazing and fun. And starting this 
sort of system that we have or this plan in place where we're going to be innovating in line with, with the harvest. But the issue that I ran into is how incredibly difficult it was for me to find freeze-dried strawberry powder made from Canadian-grown strawberries. Mm. I could find a hundred different suppliers that have their um, country of origin for the strawberries being in China or elsewhere. And I was like, no, we, that's just not what we're going to do. Right. Um, even though, you know, we had our folks that help us on the, um, our e-commerce side being like, this is going to be a smash hit. Like who cares? Let's just make a strawberry burn. I'm like, we can't, we literally cannot do this unless I can find this extremely niche ingredient, which is a Canadian grown freeze dried strawberry powder. That's also manufactured at a plant that has a really high quality assurance rating because we're yeah, we're really rigid on those things. Anyway, we ended up having to can the project because I couldn't find this ingredient and I was really disappointed, but it, like, it's a non-negotiable, like, yes. it's like Canadian grown or nothing. Yes. So the, this is just like kind of the way the cookie crumbles sometimes for us. And we get folks asking all the time, like, have you ever thought about making, you know, this sort of flavor, this sort of flavor. And I'm like, well, you know, not to say that every single ingredient we use is grown in Canada, because it's not, you know, we use cashew butter and things like that. But when it comes to, you know, seeds and um, fruit and the things that we in theory could be growing here, I, if I can't find it um, in, in alignment with the very high standards that we have for our, our ingredient sourcing, that just doesn't happen. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we love what you do. <laughs> That's why we support you. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, I don't know what came, why this came into my mind, but what did you do before this? You were seem like, I, and I've said this to you when we worked together, you seem like such a natural business person. Like you understand business and understand how to make things work. So how did you gain that awareness? I think from being a kid on a farm that was told that I needed to start working when I was like nine years old. <laughs> That's interesting because Vicky says the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. She says that she gained her business knowledge from work, living on a strawberry farm and having to work every day. Right? That's literally my first job ever was picking strawberries. So I, my family farm was a bit down the road from like my, so my, anyway, long story short, my mom is one of 13 kids and they wow. grew up on a farm and we all lived like all of my cousins and aunts and uncles all lived on the same road. It's like not a commune, but kind of feels that way. Wow. <laughs> um, and, but the, the farm that was backing onto like my family's home was a strawberry farm. So I used to like walk through our backyard, across the field, across the tree line, and then into this strawberry field. And I would pick berries as a kid. And then, you know, I babysat, I worked at a diner when I was 15, back when people still used to like smoke while they were eating their breakfast. Like <laughs> I, I worked from a really young age, but I will say like being an entrepreneur or even thinking about business as a profession period was never on my radar. To the point where even after I became an entrepreneur, like I was two, three years into Made With Local and I was like actively trying to stifle the growth of the business because I was too scared about what the success of this brand could mean for me and all the imposter syndrome and stuff tangled up into that. So I did an, a degree in environmental science at Dalhousie University mm -hmm. because I was always from like literally childhood, very obsessed with like social justice and eco justice and just sustainability in general. To the point where I like write papers to the newspaper when I saw people like talking about pollution and stuff like uh -huh. just a 
very passionate child uh, that I then again went and did a degree um, in environmental science and expected to get into more of like the field work research world. But then I ended up getting a job for the city of Halifax here where I at a just some of the job really simply I was like a recycling compliance and education officer. So I would go to businesses and go to apartment buildings and like figure out if they were recycling properly or not. And if they weren't, I would educate them on the importance of sorting their waste. We have a really good recycling program here in Halifax. We've been diverting our organics and recyclables for like 30 years. So that was my job. I would quite literally be like jumping in dumpsters and like sorting people's waste and just a very strange job. <laughs> okay. So, Cause I have this belief that nothing we ever do is wasted. So yeah. recycling. Yeah. So how have that experience helped you as an entrepreneur? I think, well, I will say, I will say I had an extremely supportive manager in that position, a guy named Gord Helm. And he knew that I was like running this little side hustle and mm -hmm. he made all kinds of space for me to like do my thing. And even to this day, like on LinkedIn, uh, he's just like my number one supporter. And he's just was like, amazing. Um, and eventually I quit that job and I was like, I'm going to go do this thing instead. And they were great yep. about it. So, but I think, um, in a more kind of like, you know, in a skills transition sort of thing, one thing I will say is part of the reason why I've bonded so quickly with Brie Miller, our Nada, who's run a, a waste free, a package free grocery store in Vancouver for many years. She and I bonded very quickly over our shared like passion and knowledge about how recycling actually works in North America or does not work and waste diversion and the issues around that as well. So as I've navigated now into a food manufacturer, you know, our facility now is instituting really, really above and beyond waste diversion programs. So we have like, we're putting in special boxes so that our rubber gloves get recycled, that our hair nets get recycled, like in a completely additional and secondary program to what's provided like on a, the municipal level. It's also helped me navigate the topic and the challenge in our business about figuring out how to approach sustainable packaging in individual pouches. And currently they are not compostable or recyclable. And part of our reasoning for that at this point is because I, I do understand sort of like the shadow side of, again, I'm using air for the listeners, compostable or recyclable packaging in that it's really difficult to have a universally recyclable or compostable package because every different city in the whole world has a different set of parameters around what they can recycle or can compost. Yes. So I've I have, we have taken our time to make sure that whenever, which actually will hopefully be within the next six to 12 months, we do transition to a, a better film for our packaging, that it is something that isn't just a, and not to downplay anybody else's efforts, but like, it's not just a washing effort. Like it truly is a choice that is going to be a net positive um, and not be confusing for people when they're trying to figure out which bin to throw it in, because that's a major issue too. So anyway, big old rant there. <laughs> it's something I'm, you know, clearly still pretty passionate about. Yeah. You're talking about becoming friends with Brie Miller reminds me of the question. What's it been like for you to be as part of this community? Mm. I mean, obviously the money part, but what's, what else has been your experience of being part of our community? The absolute most amazing thing about this community in my experience and with my cohort, which I am biased, but I think we were a pretty special cohort, really, really strong relationships, like right off the hop. And, and even with the, the cohorts that came just before us, so we were the third cohort and even in the previous two, like I'm, I feel like at any point I could 
because I have all of their phone numbers in my phone. I could just cold call them and be like, I need help. Or what mm-hmm. have you done in this situation? And I, I have done that so many times, you know, Tony from Abigo, um, Patrice from Satya, you know, Vicky's like a text away at any given time. Like, and you, of course, too, MJ, the, the network and the responsiveness of the network and the empathy of these relationships. That's just like so invaluable um to me like that's that's been far and away you know obviously the the funding is something that is incredibly impactful too but there's never been any other network that i've been part of where i almost instantly was able to forge you know a dozen plus really really good kind of ride or die level relationships with others that are going through what we're dealing with in the world of entrepreneurship it's never lost on me how special that is oh that's fantastic that's great. Mm-hmm. The um, the what why we're here and we've kind of we've talked about it a little bit, but is because you paid back your five year loan, which means which means that your money that you paid back is going into the pool to be given out and for to other people in in the perpetual loan um, mm-hmm. and also other ventures so who are new. So it's very 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 exciting, and we really want to honor all of those ventures, including you who. Mm. we're able to fulfill that obligation. So, well, thank you. It's been like such an amazing journey. And I think, yeah, it just feels like a really beautiful milestone. And I love, again, that we were able to connect a a little bit earlier in the year and that we still continue to stay connected because I think, you know, maintaining strong relationships does take um, intention. And I think that's one thing that Coralis also does really well is creating space for those relationships to to go the distance. That's so good. Anything else you want to make sure you say or do uh, we talk about before we end? I mean, yeah, we covered all kinds of good stuff. And I just, you know, I've said it once, I've said it a million times. I'm just so grateful for this community. It's been, it's been, yeah, more than I could have ever imagined when I literally submitted my application (laughs) at 50 p.m. the night before they were due. It's like, I had no idea what was in store. You and everyone else at the last minute, we're always like, oh no, is anyone going to apply? And literally like as the the day comes up to midnight, we see the numbers start to ramp up. Okay. So Sheena, tell us where can people get your amazing products? Yeah. So our bars are now available at 3,000 grocery stores all across the country. All of the major Canadian banners are going to be carrying our foods, which is really exciting, coast to coast. So uh, Halifax to Victoria and everywhere in between. And we're also available online. So you can visit our website, madewithlocal.ca. And we do ship directly from our website all across Canada and into the U.S. We have a growing, growing number of fans south of the border as well. So that's where you can find us. Great. And your, um, your, web address for those who want to buy through yeah you can find us at madewithlocal.ca or madewithlocal.com fantastic thank you for listening to the ripples of radical generosity podcast let us know what you thought of the episode and share this podcast with your friends we invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at www.coralist.world